Um, famous phrases. Um, I actually decided today to do um, not so much a famous phrase from the Bible, but an epically famous whole chapter. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. It's good to read the word together, isn't it? So I'm going to read this epic thing, but before I do that, I'm going to put a little picture up. You know, sometimes I, every now and again I like to put a little, I do like, I do like a bit of history. So, um, let, who is that? No, it's not me, Dad. Dave? No. No, it's always good to shoot for a Dave. No. Uh, anyone, anyone, go on. It's someone old. So there's no photo. I'll give you a clue. They started getting active for God in about the 1770s. That's why there's no photo. But that is what he looked like when he was 15. No. <laughs> Tough life back then. I'll paper around. Um, I'm going to need two stands or my epic Bible is going to break that other stand. This happens to me all the time. Good, thanks very much. And so that is William Carey. Oh. That was an evangelical mumble. Uh... Anyone know what William Carey did? Points mean prizes. India. Who said India? No one wants to confess it. It's right. You were right. You were right. Chris was right. So thank you very much. So uh, I've said this before, but when we get our own building, I'm going to get a power lectern. Big perspex, lit up, LEDs, big neon pink Redeemer King. And we could press a button that brings our own individual names up. <laughs> Dan's on. Beachy. Right, so um, that is William Carey, who was a pioneer minister to India. In 1793, he left for India. Uh, before that, he, he... George, does anyone know what William Carey did before he became what is known as the father of modern missions? He was such a pioneer. See, look at that. We sit here today through the legacy of people like this. We don't know who they are, so it's good to be reminded. He was a massive pioneer. He was actually a Baptist minister. Did you know I used to be one of them in a previous life? I was. I was a proper reverend and everything. There you go. So, 1793, he went to India, father of modern missions. But before he did that, what did he do? Yeah. You've been looking at my notes. He was a cobbler. So he was a simple man. He was a, he was a cobbler, uh, worked very humbly. Uh, his wife was literally illiterate. Her wedding certificate just has an X mark on it because she couldn't read or write. He's a man of very humble origins. He, however, had the brain the size of a planetary system and taught himself multiple languages whilst working as a cobbler. And he formed a document which was... A, a, a massive uh, kind of, um, what do you call it, like thesis on, on missions. He had a massive heart to tell the world about Jesus Christ. The thing was, and this may become as a revelation to you, if you are under 30. Back then, they didn't have smartphones. <laughs> or Google. Can you imagine that? Do you know, in the early 1990s, well, actually 1990, I did an engineering degree, an engineering degree without a computer. 
I had to use tables of calculus. That's what it was like in the olden days. So he went out and uh, with his wife, his eldest son Felix and his daughter and he packed his coffin because he knew that heading out to India he would not come back or it'd be very unlikely. He couldn't go on TripAdvisor and find the best places to go. My wife actually has a cult following on TripAdvisor. She has a hidden life. Did you know that? Which I've just exposed. She's one of the most read people in Derbyshire. Didn't know that, did you? But you couldn't go uh, feisty and frightening reviews. I wouldn't read them. It's very depressing. But um, uh, don't ever get reviewed by my wife. Not good. It won't end well. But she, he went out there after seven months at sea with a slight delay in the Isle of Wight. They ended up in Calcutta. And when they went to Calcutta, his wife was pregnant as they went out and gave birth. He learned the Bengali language from scratch just by listening to people. And they lived in extreme hardship. In fact, to make ends meet, whilst trying to pioneer missions, he was also manager of a factory. But you can imagine what a factory was like in India in Calcutta in the 1790s. He didn't get employment benefits. It wasn't like what it is today. However, utter tragedy followed. His, his newborn son died of dysentery very soon after. His first wife went mad because of the death of her son and never recovered and then died from a fever. He married again, but his second wife died from the conditions that are out there, followed again by his eldest son, Felix, died. His eldest son and his second wife died around the time he was baptising his first convert from Hinduism. He was actually out there for years and years and years without seeing anything. Nothing happened. But he persisted and he persisted and he persisted and through tragedy and death and untold grief, hardships, disease, threats. In fact, he wrote in some of his journals he didn't think he was going to survive another year. He just thought he was going to die. It was so hard. But he kept going and he kept going and he kept going because he passionately believed that Jesus Christ changed the game and that the world needed to know about the Saviour. So he kept going and going and going and going and going. And he died without seeing the fruit of everything. But he is known, as I said, as the father of modern missions. And the legacy from William Carey that boy there, the legacy was hospitals and schools and education programs and like overthrowing like terrible customs like sati, which was like if you were a Hindu wife, you'd be burned alive after the death of your husband. They'd put you on the funeral pyre and burn you alive with your husband. It got, it got banned because of that guy, like across India. And, and today, even today, there are schools and education programs and feeding programs and hospitals, all because that guy, with utter focus, got his head down, believed, and cracked on. It's utterly amazing. We sit here today, standing on the shoulders of people who were amazing, gritty pioneers, who, who chose to believe no matter what. They chose to believe, because it is a choice. 
Okay, you can choose to be grafted into the vine. You can choose for Christ. You can make a decision. It's not just based on our feelings. I, I would contend that William Carey didn't feel hugely for the joy that often. I think he lived with a lot of grief and a lot of suffering and a lot of pain. And we read about these characters in Hebrews 11. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, we're going to dart around a little bit. But I thought it would be really good to look at a whole chunk of this. So if you have a Bible with you, it's on your phones or whatever, we'll look at Hebrews 11, which is the story of faith. And it, and it lists a whole bunch of people who are just, you know, legends of the faith, really, who didn't quit no matter what. So I will pick it up from verse 7 because it's such a mighty passage. We'll go from Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Do you remember the passages in Abraham in Gen- about Abraham in Genesis? It's like, Abraham says, leave your home, your people, your country, to a place I will show you. Like, leave everything behind. Pack it all up. Where are we going? I'm not going to tell you. But where are we going to go? I'm not going to tell you. I'll show you in the end. Pack everything up and go. That is next level faith. Like, we stressed over a move down the road, didn't we? Well, I do. I'd stressed over moving 170 miles from Bath. And I'd remove all firms and everything. Abraham, leave your home, your people, your country. Trust me, I've got it. And he did it. By faith, it says, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful and promised. There, uh, therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead, and that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. You can go over to verse 32, and what more shall I say, for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Isaiah was sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts, mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Now here's an amazing thing. All those heroes we've just spoken about, Bible says they didn't receive the promise. They didn't receive what they could have received on the earth. But what kept them going? Their faith that there was something better to come. 
They had their eyes, their eyes were fixed on heaven. We enjoy this life now, but actually their gaze was set upwards to heaven and they believed and actually trusted God. That's the secret of William Carey and many, many others like him. It's like, I mean, these guys, it's like, wow, you know. Like, I look at what I get grumpy about. When I want to give up, I mean, that is like next level stuff. And so I'm pondering on this. And, and I guess I've been pondering on this sort of thing for a while now. Do you know what I think one of the enemies of the church of God today is? One of the things that's set against us that holds us back. I think, and we know many things that the enemy uses against us, apathy, fear, you know, being a bit lukewarm in the Bible, not drilling ourselves, all that kind of things. But actually, what I've realized is like underneath that sometimes I don't even know if it's a word I'm going to make a word up I don't know it might be a word tell me if it's a word I think it's short termism it's not a word is it it should be because it's brilliant I'll create a word short term thinking let's create a word short termism like we all want the gains now like we want the blessings now like we're hardwired for easy we don't like tough but here's the thing, in over 22 years now of pioneering, do you know what I've realised? It's taken me to I'm like nearly 47 and like planted numerous churches and pioneered different ministries. I've learned something. Nothing happens overnight. Like very rarely. Like I don't think there are overnight successes. Maybe some. But actually when you start drilling into it, like, you know, you see the, the, you see the people on the platforms or, or the amazing businesses that spring up, but you don't understand the battles that were fought underneath. So I'm going to be very honest with you. I've loved the journey of planting this church with the team of wonderful people who stood with us right at the beginning. There were, there were a, a mere ten of us when we started. And I've, I've, on the whole, on the whole, I've loved the journey of planting this church. Um... But in the background, there is always going to be pressure and angst and disagreement and battling through and moments of fatigue. And it can be big things and it can be small things. I mean, like even coming downstairs this morning and seeing yet more flasks to fill up for hot water and more boxes in my hallway and I go in the lounge and it's Boxes everywhere of kids' stuff. And it's such a trivial thing, isn't it? But after four years, hands up who's on a refreshment rotor. What a nightmare job! <laughs> it is. Eight o'clock, filling up loads of kettles again. I have to say, actually, it's only me in my house who moans about it. Not more kettles, filling up more flasks. But it's a silly little thing. But actually, in the background of pioneering anything, it's really hard. Like, and there are moments where you want to quit. There are. Anyone who's tried something new or fresh, there are moments when you want to quit. It just happens. And the enemy knows how to press your quit button, doesn't he? Whether it's like complaints from people or negative feedback or people not turning up for things like, you'll have your own things in, in your life that make you just want to jack it all in. Is that just me or has anyone, everyone here got something that makes you think, I just want to chuck the towel in? You got that? You can admit to it. It's all right. I'm not going to take notes. 
Is is that just me? I mean, help me here. I'm thinking, everyone's got a quit button. Mine's a big, fat red one that I keep in a glass case. And I try and push it to one side. But sometimes it's like Satan goes, there he is. Put it away. There he is. Put it away. Right, so, so Karen says to me sometimes over the years, or, or actually I get sometimes the messages on the Facebook. I had one this morning. What keeps you going? Like, why do you keep doing it? Well, firstly, um, I know that God's spoken to us about this church. I'm utterly convinced that God's spoken to us. I know he's called us to build a large church that's going to rescue the hurting, the poor, the last, the least, the lost, the most broken. I know it. I know we're going to see loads of transformations. I know he spoke to us from Isaiah 54, enlarge your place of your tent, strengthen your tent pegs. I know he said it. I've pictured it. I've dreamt it. I have dreams about it. Because I know that God's spoken to me. I know it's going to happen. And vision keeps me going. It does. You can't rely on it alone, but it does actually keep me going. And it's not a job for me. It's not a job. It's a passion. And, and another thing that keeps me going, and I honestly mean this, you're going to think, oh, he's going all sentimental. But actually, I have a great love for everyone in the church. Like, genuinely, you can't explain it. But church ain't an organisation. There are things we have to do that like an organisation, but it's a family. And people commit to this church, I feel like I'm committed to them. With whatever time I've got, it's best I can. But actually, you feel a love for the church. And there are moments when I'm standing in the foyer or in the worship and you see people walking past and you can feel a deep love for people. And I think other people in the church feel that for one another. I think it's special. We're not trying to put on a show. We're trying to build a family of people who love Jesus Christ. And it keeps you going that, doesn't it? So here's the thing against short-termism. I believe, and you learn it from Hebrews 11... And we'll look at a couple of other passages at the moment. I believe in ministry and in life, persistence pays off. Long haul. I think there will be a time when we look back on days like this and we'll sleepwalk into it in some regards. I think we'll turn around and go, wow, look what the Lord did. How did that even happen? Isn't that amazing? We'll look around and see all these lives being beautifully transformed by Jesus. But it ain't going to happen overnight. And so here's some things that I've learned about being a persistence pays off guy. Because it's not a job for me. And I love you all. I want people to know, if I say I'm going to be somewhere, I'm going to be there. If I say I'm going to turn up, I'm going to turn up. If I say I'm going to do something... I'm not going to bail at the last minute. You know, I'm not going to try and wiggle out of it. And you know, I think there's a terrible temptation in our culture to do the opposite of that. But because I love the Lord and I love the church, that's how I choose to live my life. And the churches that get that, they really break out. And there's a reason I'm coming on to you why it's so important. Now, one thing I do want to say at the moment, I, I, I really want to thank you guys who stood with us to build this and have joined in along the way. You know, coming in the mornings here and the worship guys have already set up. They're here super early, dragging things around. People doing the tea stuff, the 
army of people now running our kids' work out there, week in, week out, pulling their T-shirts on, the people who stand out in the rain on the Connect team, the people who come here before meetings and pull the chairs out. Do you know what? I think the Lord absolutely loves it. I think you get his attention when you serve like that. I think you get his smile. I just want to say thank you, really, because we couldn't have done it without you. That is honestly absolutely phenomenal. But I think to go to the next level, to go to the next level and to get God's attention, I think we need to dig in a bit more and say, ask maybe a couple of questions, you know. Am I all in? How can I serve? What can I do? If you're feeling a little bit fatigued, sometimes you've got to come off rotors and be kind to ourselves and look after ourselves, but am I in this for the long haul? Because I tell you what, I really felt from the Lord for myself when I was looking at this. I am. I'm so determined to see this church with at least a thousand people being rescued in this town. Like through thick or thin. So we've got to learn the strategies to overcome our quick button. Here's another thing I've learned. I think most new projects or most new endeavours in the church today last about 18 months. People set up blogs, missions, projects. Mostly they last about 18 months. you know why? Because the efforts of God, the enemy throws a lot of stuff at it and he presses your quit button. But there's another thing that happens as well. What Jesus likes to do is to take what's you out of it and put more of him into it. And that 18-month process can actually be a little bit bruising. Now, I think we went through that in the first 18 months, two years as a church here. And then we went through it again. And I think with Kids Church and all the other things we're doing, we're about to do it again. And there will be snags. And there will be stuff we've got to head off. You know, that is, that's just life. But if we dig in and we understand how the enemy works, I think we'll enter into a beautiful future. I really, really do. Second thing I want to say is you have to put the hard yards in. You've got to put the hard yards in if you want to build anything beautiful for Jesus. All of us have got to do that. It's just the way it is. I remember once uh, dragging this slightly stocky frame over the Alps. Uh, 92,000 feet of climbing on a road bike. What an absolute miracle that was. And um, the, first, the first mountain range after cycling across northern France, the first mountain range you come to is called the Jura. And it is like... Like, you see, you're cycling along. Like, you can see it about 50 miles away. At first you think, is that, that's a dark cloud. Then you think, that's a mountain. And then you keep looking, and it's getting bigger. And, like, you literally start to think. And then some bright spot goes, you got to cycle over that, pal. This Australian surgeon. And, like, <laughs> just wanted to cry. It was 7 o'clock at night when we got there. And the guy said to us, he said, our support van driver, he said, you can either get in the van and we'll drive you over, or you can cycle over it. Guess what one I chose? There were nine of us. Guess how many people got in the van? Seven. Two of us decided to do it. And if I'm being honest, I nearly cried when we were over the mountain. It was the most disgusting, horrible experience I've ever had in my life. And there was this terrible moment. It was pouring down with rain. And it was cold. We were winding our way up this mountain, just the two of us. And he got to it, it was about 9.30 at night. And the van pulled up and he goes, oh, boys, sorry, oh, boys, do you want the bad news? <laughs> we went, what is it? And he went, you got about another two hours to go. I was like, you're kidding. And I'm my mate, I looked at my mate. And he, I thought he was going to burst into tears. 
I'm like, come on, Jason. We're so going to do this. <laughs> we're going to do it. And then, literally, the van drove off. So we were like, cut our heads down, like deep breath, waxing another energy bar. Got back on the saddle. Bum was hurting quite a lot. Got back on the saddle. Went around the corner, and the van was parked there. And he went, only joking, you got to the top. I knew, I could honestly, I could have killed him. <laughs> I was so like, honestly, I could have absolutely throttled him. Like, every moment of beauty was gone. <laughs> you know, what'd you do that for? And literally, Jason's like, <laughs> destroyed him as a man, you know. Anyway, so he said, he went, ha, ha, ha. And I just went, don't, literally, you need to drive away. You've literally got to drive away. <laughs> so, like, end of tether. Anyway, he drove off. And then we cycled slowly around the corner. And this most beautiful thing happened. The tree line, as we went around the corner, stopped. And then you could see thousands of feet below. It's a memory I'll never forget. Lake Geneva spread out beneath us, lit up from the town. The sky started to clear in one place where it stopped raining and the stars were coming through. And Jason and I stopped and it was like, wow, we just conquered. The Jura. We did it. And we freewheeled for like 20 kilometers or more downhill, whooping legs out like kids. We're like, we've done it. And then we got to the hotel at half past 10 at night. And all the other guys were in the restaurant drinking a cold beer. We like swaggered in like Bruce Willis, you know. They went, how'd you do that? I, like, I don't know. It's just like grit. But I'll never regret not quitting. I will never regret not keeping my head down and, and just seeing the pain through. It was so worth it. I feel like that sometimes about what we're trying to do. There will be moments of pain, moments of disappointment, moments where you want to chuck the towel in. But the glory of seeing Christ impact thousands of lives keeps me going. Not building a big organisation, seeing rescue on an unprecedented scale, seeing your faces, seeing the transformations. Seven people being baptised tonight who are my friends, Dan's friends. How beautiful is that? We're not just baptising people, we're baptising our friends, our family. I was saying to Marie, you know, the amount of conversations we had in my living room, just wrestling it all through, and now to see a Christ shining through her face and all that kind of stuff is actually a beautiful thing. It is worth persisting through. There were probably some moments, Marie, when you walked out of my lounge thinking, oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah. But it's so worth it. So worth the persistence. And sometimes we have to persist through suffering. But here's the thing. How did I manage to cycle over the Jura with this slightly portly frame? I managed to cycle over the Jura because I put thousands of hours in in the background. I didn't just go cycling. When I ran the Snowdonia Marathon, I didn't just go running. I used to run to the steepest hill I could find in Chesterfield. And you know what I'd do? Run up and down it for an hour. Up and down, up and down, up and down, trying to get fit to a mountain running and marathon running. When I cycled the Jura, my kids used to laugh at me. 
I, I, I'd be on the exercise bike. I remember one time actually collapsing in laughter on the floor. Emily might remember this. I remember sitting on my turbo train at home, relentlessly just like cycling on an uphill setting, and then collapsing in laughter on the floor, going, I'm going to cycle over the Alps. <laughs> How ridiculous. I think I was having a breakdown at the time, just doing all the training. But it happens through persistence. The glory moments come because you're hung in there through the tough times. Can't just go out there and do it. You've got to put the hard yards in. And one day we'll look back about filling up flasks every Sunday at eight o'clock in the morning. And we'll look back when we got our auto boiler. We've constantly on tap boiling water in our mega center. Oh, dear God, please give us an auto boiler so we don't have to do this anymore. There'll be moments when we'll look back, but I think the, the sacrifice now gets God's attention. Persistence pays off. So if you're feeling discouraged, hang in there. Sometimes you need to give yourself a break, but hang in there. But with deep thanks for those of you that have, because I think it gets God's attention. Persist in suffering. You know, Paul was validated, Paul validated his apostleship through this. There's this amazing uh, passage, like Paul wrote half the New Testament or more. Uh, actually lived a bit of a life, didn't he? So um, let me read this for you. Uh, this is how Paul actually validates himself as being an apostle. Um, in more so, in far more labours, far more imprisonments, beaten times more, more numerous, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with wads. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, Dangers amongst false brethren. I've been in labour, hardship, sleepless nights, hungry, thirsty, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me of the concern for all the, concern, for, for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. I mean, he ends up by talking about how he's lowered in a basket through a wall to escape. But that's a tough life. But what kept him going? Vision. The glory of Jesus being preached. Churches being planted. Lives being transformed. Had his eyes on the prize, didn't he? And so often in suffering, we just want to quit. And too many people want to quit after one bit of criticism or one bad moment. And do you know what we forget? We forget we're in a war. Don't quit after one bad moment. There's something, there's, there's a bigger thing at stake. Now, I think in our culture now, we have one bad experience and we duck out. But those who persist through trials, I mean, man, I mean, Neville knows this. Running cat. That, you know, giving up a bit of his job, proper job, proper money, to run a proper debt centre with no pay. <laughs> and, and the discouragements you can find in pioneering anything. Turning up for meetings and people aren't there. and just sort of People who can't be helped, even though you desperately want to help them, it's just not going to work out. It's hard. When you first set up a church, it's not easy. You pioneer anything, it's not easy. But what keeps you going, Neville? Christ, rescue, the mission, and the knowledge that God's spoken. 
And one day we'll build something beautiful together. That's the kind of thing that we need. But, but one critical thing that I felt, if we are a church that is really going after the most hurting, lost, broken and vulnerable, showing up and being consistent as one of our deepest values is really important. Because the most hurting, lost and broken people have experienced often the most disappointment and the most conditional love. And so, if we are truly going after hurting people and the poor, we need to be the most consistent people for the sake of the mission, actually. And the people who persist with doggedness through complaint and criticism and hardship. I remember when, when I pioneered a bus ministry, actually, in 1996, on a council estate in Essex. And um, we, we partnered with a ministry that had a double-decker bus available. And when it started off, we had 10 volunteers. And we said, we're going to pitch up every Monday night at 7 o'clock, rain or shine. And I learned this from the project manager there, the guy who founded it, he said, you must always be there. You must always be there, rain or shine. And we did for years. We were always there. Snowing hailing, raining, if the bus broke down, we'd stand there outside, we were always there. And, and it took three years before we started seeing real fruit. And then the library got involved and music teachers got involved, we started teaching kids to read, there were guitar lessons, we formed a football team. And I'll never forget, this actually happened. One of the kids off the estate um, said to me words, it was, it was many years ago, over 20 years ago, but he said words to the effect of, the thing about you people is, you always turn up. And what he was saying behind that was, no one else has been there for us. And often their parents weren't there for them either actually. But we were always there, consistently. We said it, and we did it. And I think as a value for our church, like, it's absolutely critical. So I would say it's a good thing to ask, as a, as a follower of Jesus' discipline, ask questions of yourselves. If I say I'm going to do something, are you someone who will see it through? It's a good discipline. Am I that person? Am I, as Jesus said, my yes is yes and my no is no? Do you inspire confidence in every area of your life that if you say you're going to show up, you're going to show up and you can be relied upon? whether that's church, work, family. Colossians 3.23 simply says this, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. So everything we're doing, we're doing this for Jesus 100%. Everything you do, whether you are filling up a flask, clearing up a coffee spill, welcoming someone at the door, a toilet cleaner for a living, a van driver, a retail assistant, a doctor, a dentist, a bus driver. It's all for Jesus. All of it is for Jesus. Everything we do, every little task is for the Lord. And so we're serving him. It makes such a defining difference when we get that into our hearts. It really does. Now, the things that we need to build into our lives to help us stay fresh, but that's for another time. All I'm simply saying today is this. Are you persistent? Are you a person who, when you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it? 
Are we, are we ready to be loving the poor and the hurting and the most broken with utter consistency? Are we Hebrews 11 people? Our eyes are fixed on the prize. Our, our heads are orientated upwards. We look into heaven. Not just at the problems that are immediately in front of us. I've got a vision for this church. I know that many of you have too. That one day, one day we'll walk in there'll be churches and congregations all over the place and we'll walk in and we'll see life after life after life after life after life being radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit. But if we are to push through to the next level, expect a little bit of argy-bargy. A little bit of battle. But those who persist in faith... We'll see the glory moments. You'll have your cycling around the top of the Jura moments.